0: Very good morning to you. That was uh, Footloose. This is Lionheart Radio. It's the movie hour with Daniel Mumby. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Not hearing you very loudly there. How about this? Uh, Still a bit quiet. OK, well, I'll just have to shout until you get the levels up. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just pull your fader down and you can twiddle your microphone around. OK, and... you talk while
1: I'm here. Please.
0: Right, so uh, we're having a, a few technical um, hitches this morning. Let's if, see if this is any better. If in doubt, blame the wind. That is very good. Good morning. Good morning for the second time. Yes. How are you? I'm fine. Well, actually, a little snuffly, so I'm going to let you do all the talking So you've morning. got a bad nose,
1: I've got a bad shoulder. We'll balance
0: <laughs> yeah. each other out <laughs> <laughs> rather nicely. Yeah, indeed. Well, we played Footloose because it's going to be on at the mornings at Berwick tomorrow at 12 noon and 5 p.m yeah although it's not actually
1: that version no it's not. It's which, the new I mean, one. yeah but then again no there's not much to choose between them in terms of quality so no yeah and un- unless you've got a sort of kevin bacon fixation you'll enjoy the new footloose quite a lot
0: okay also on at the mornings this weekend i'm gonna have to pronounce this very carefully because there's a bit of
1: alliteration in it judy moody and the not bummer summer which is not on a par with horrid henry it's you no know, it's a bit I think heather graham's all right in it but there's not much else to recommend it i think i did well getting that one right. yes you did <laughs> yes one o'clock this
0: afternoon that one's on uh three o'clock this afternoon and then two thirty tomorrow afternoon is
1: monte carlo which is you know princess diaries light i mean princess diaries was already quite light to start with it it's Completely in one ear and out the other, nothing offensive, but just innocuous. Right. And then on Monday evening, it's Drive at 8 o'clock. Nicholas Vindingreffin, well, many people think it's his best film. It's certainly Ryan Gosling's best performance in a long time. I mean, I'm, no, notwithstanding the Ides of March, I think it's a really good existential B movie which has got. No, a fair bit of violence in it, but you know, it's all you no know, perfectly justified and I think like I say Gosling does do pretty damn good. One to recommend then? Yes. And then oh by the way, the Mortings
0: Box office number is O one two eight nine three three oh nine nine nine. And at the Annick Playhouse, just the one to tell you about it. It's Tuesday evening. I don't know how she does it. Yeah,
1: and uh, it's not as bad as Sex in the City one, or indeed Sex in the City Two. I mean Sarah Jessica Parker is doing a better job here, and it's, it, you know, it has a, I mean, it's directed by Douglas McGrath, who, you know, has some sort of form, I mean, he directed a film called Notorious, which will become relevant when we talk about Moneyball, because it involves and Capote. It's not awful, but it's just, it's, it's a nothingness film. It sort of sits there on the screen and does nothing at all.
0: And it Playhouse box office number, if you've been inspired to go by that, double six five. 510785. I think I might just have that off their Christmas card list. <laughs> meanwhile <I would laughs> no ta- harm in being honest. Yes. Meanwhile, talking about local films, yes. you can become a film star. Do you want to read this out? Yes. Lights, Camera Action, The Boy and the Bus is a new film being made in Rothbury. Now, if you would like to take part in the film, I guess as an extra rather than a star. Yes, um, but you never know. You go along to the Jubilee Hall this lunchtime, which of course is in Rothbury. 12.30, well, there'll be a presentation and discussion by the director, Simon Pitts. And if you want to know more about that, then give Richard a call on 07740 243 That's 07740 243 506
1: and we should say that that's Richard Eads rather than Richard Dale it is you, indeed You're not yes. Yes. i was just wondering whether that title the boy on the bus I wonder that whether that's a reference to the boy on the bicycle which was Ridley Scott's first short film uh, interesting he, yeah. it, that was a sort of his version of the famous hovis adverts which yeah. he shot over weekends with his uh, younger brother good to see
0: another film being made in the Northeast absolutely I was down at uh, Northern Film and Media on Wednesday evening. Yes, I think it was Wednesday evening with uh, Garth Jeffrey, uh, also from Lionheart Radio, and uh, the folks at NFM were saying what a buoyant time it is for filmmaking in the North East at the moment, which has to be good, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yes. And so, yeah, by all means. Now starting to get a bit of a uh, momentum in the craft, so people are actually staying in the North East rather than flying in from London and going back to London afterwards, which is uh, great for the region. Mm. Right, should we look at the top ten, Yes, then? I think we should. At number ten is the Ides of March.
1: No, another Ryan Gosling effort. It's a decent, workable political thriller. I don't think George Clooney is anything like as brilliant as people give him credit for behind the camera. I mean, I think he's fantastic as an actor, but good night and good luck left me kind of cold. It doesn't break any new ground, but as a thinking man's popcorn thriller, it's enjoyable enough. The Rum Diary is at number nine. I'm really glad to see it's still there. I know just having Bruce Robinson back in UK cinemas is an achievement in itself, considering how bad his experience was with Jennifer A. 19 years ago. I like Johnny Depp. I don't think this is anything like as faithful to Hunter S. Thompson as, for instance, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but Robinson has done a very capable job of adapting a very difficult book. So it's ramshackle, but it's good fun. Sadly, John English Reborn is still there, number eight. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're clearly not the target audience, and it is on its way out, so I don't think we should complain about it too much. No, Rowan Atkinson has better work in him, and this isn't it. Number seven is justice, which is straight to DVD fare. Basically, it's completely nuts and bolts revenge thriller. I mean, nicholas Cage. The problem with him, I mean, people always know nicholas Cage is a horrible actor, and he's not. This is just the sort of thing that he can do in his sleep. I mean, I was watching wilder Heart again earlier in the week, you know, the David Lynch film, in which is yeah. insanely over the top but brilliant. He does a fantastic Elvis impression, and that is just a to note. You give him a proper director, like David Lynch, like Mike Figgis, who for whom he yeah. won the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, or Werner Herzog who understand that sort of, you no, know, you put someone just slightly over the top and they have such brilliant charisma. But when you give him to someone like Roger Donaldson, who's a perfectly workable sort of nuts and bolts workman-like director, he, he just sort of trundles along as if he's doing it just for the money. So it's disappointing. Number six is the Tower Heist. Brett Ratner's best film. I mean, it, insofar as it doesn't have any of the offensiveness of the Rush Hour series or indeed X-Men 3, which is a total stinker. Um, it's, you know, massively derivative on an level. You no, know, the caper owes a lot to the Italian job and Eddie Murphy's character is essentially riffing on his role from trading places, which, even after 30 years, is still fantastically funny. I was watching a bit of that again the other night, just the, uh, you know, the sequence yeah. where they're sort of trading frozen concentrated orange juice at the end and sort of <laughs> having heart attacks and forth. So- that's very funny so it's utterly disposable but for once it's a bread rat in a film that's funny number five in time good premise poor execution i like andrew nickel the story has you no know, had it been done as a twilight zone episode it would have worked because it would have been sort of short and self-contained yeah. this eventually runs out of steam number four immortals garbage. Um, The the big problem is that that it can't decide who its target audience is. It wants to be the sort of the Ray Harryhausen stuff of doing sort of 12 certificate romping battles, but on the other hand, it's got enough violence for an 18 certificate. It was actually cut to get it to 15. No, it's just badly put together, and it doesn't do justice to the Greek myths, and it's not fun. Number three, Jamie Bell. Yes, The Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, speaking of Northeast films, I mean, I think we are pretty much agreed that it's a film of set pieces rather than story. I don't know why they why they had to put Crab with the Golden Claws in rather than doing Secret of the Unicorn and Red Rackham together because that's, you know, plenty of story in and of itself. And uh, the fact that there's no Professor Calculus is a big disappointment for me. But it is really good fun. The set pieces are as close as Spielberg has come in the last ten years to recapturing the brio and the, the breeziness of Indiana Jones. So if you've got children under the age of... 10 or 11 they'll really enjoy it yes and count back it's been a busy year for jamie Bell, hasn't it yeah because he was in the eagle and he was in a uh, sort of a dvd release called retreat recently with killian murphy which was apparently very good so it's good to see him uh, getting to our screens yeah he exactly and to all intents and purposes they are going ahead with a sequel which jackson will be directing and fingers crossed they're going to do destination and explorers on the moon which Great. is my favorite book
0: good Number two are Christmas.
1: Which, you know, it isn't first-rate, so insofar as it's not as funny or as charming as Curse of the Were-Rabbit, but it's clearly striking a chord with its target audience. I'm not going to do the thing about it, complaining about it coming out so soon before Christmas because it is nearly December. And uh-huh. we'll play some Christmas music on Thursday. We will, yes, it's no, I'm, I'm not...
0: And, and we'll let them
1: loose on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so clearly it's striking with its target audience. I don't think it's going to hang around like the Wallace and Gromit Christmas shorts in the past. I mean, did you see the last one, um, A Matter of Loaf and Death? No. No, that you, it'll probably be repeated this year, but if you do get a chance to catch it. So it's not first-rate, but it's good fun. Yeah,
0: I was at a uh, doing Jasmine last night, very, very nice evening, but they were playing Christmas music. Yes, I can take the point, actually. It's not <laughs> Christmas yet. No, it's but, not. Uh, not until Advent starts on the 1st of December. Yeah. Which I'm... You know, I'm just going to stop for a moment. You can edit this one out of the podcast, but, um, I did say I'd tell everybody during the show and I forgot. Um, I was talking to one of the organisers of the Castle Challenges Triathlon, which is Bambra down to Anik. You swim round Bamboura and cycle down to Anik and run round the castle. Or well, next year for 2012, the swimming bit is going to be Holy Island across to the shore. Is that going to be an event to watch or not? Yes, well, no,
1: particularly of me doing it, watching yes. me sort of <laughs> collapse
0: halfway <laughs> through and drown yeah, in the middle I think of the North Sea. That is one to watch rather than take part in. But that's <laughs> going to be great. the uh, yes, by, i should sh- sh- get
1: my own boat yes. and go sailing around with a yes. megaphone, saying, "Come on, yeah. you can swim faster than that!" Right <laughs> now, we'll restart the podcast
0: and uh, no- yeah. number one by a country mile. The critics hate it, the audience love it. Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1.
1: Yeah, there were two interesting pieces about this in The Guardian this week. One of them was a sort of, a sort of fairly frivolous story claiming that a lot of people in America, a lot of male viewers in American audiences, have suffered epileptic fits during the birth sequence because of the lighting <laughs> that used. used. Yeah. So, sort of, you know, re- reports of, sort of people going and actually having seizures, which is oh. no, not something to be laughed at because it no, you know, is not fun yeah. at all. So, health warning. Uh, yes but i know there is there have been some people who suggested that story was fabricated you know in you know, the other sort of the comment section on the guardian one of them yeah. well he must have just been desperate to leave the film um but the more interesting story um there was a story that point i can't remember who wrote it but the it was written by a lady and she pointed out that whether or not you like twilight you have to admire the fact that it's a, a film about a female heroic protagonist which is hitting its target audience and taking money and she was saying that no, the fact that we've had uh, quite a lot of films recently with female protagonists like Disney's Tangled and uh, there's a couple of versions of Snow White coming up in the next few months. No, it's refreshing that, no, even if you... Even if you don't find the Twilight Saga compelling in and of itself, the fact that the paucity of entertainment for young girls is actually being filled somewhat. And, no, I think the film is flawed. I mean, from my point of view, I wanted more the sort of the David Cronenberg body horror stuff, you know, sort of yeah. along the lines of The Brood. But, um... I'm glad that it's taking money, regardless of its flaws. Yeah, but the critics really don't like it. Yeah, but the the point—the
0: consensus opinion here—slow, joyless, and loaded with unintentionally humorous moments.
1: Yeah, well, they're all being a bit sniffy for no reason. I mean, the the point that the article made was that similar franchises aimed at sort of twelve-year-old boys don't get anything like the stick they deserve. I mean, I mean, Transformers is a whole lot worse. Yes, I seem to remember we talked about that Yes, let's not ago. go there again.
0: But a <laughs> quick reminder, of course, is that the gang will be here on the 17th of December, picking apart the films of the year. <laughs> and I have a funny feeling Transformers might just come up in the yeah, discussion. Yes, so you'll
1: have to sort of dig it out of the archive. Yes, we have a... Or I'll give you a sort of... A memorable
0: edition. recording of the Mumby rant on the subject. you have to sort yeah. Yes, yeah. Colts Films, coming up after this. <laughs>
1: This is the fresh sound for the district. Live Live from Anik, this is Lionheart Radio.
0: Okay, here's a question for you uh, triathletes listening this morning. Why don't you do it in reverse and get wet at the end? Hmm. We're just thinking about that
1: here in the studio. Yeah, I suppose the obvious answer would be cramp, because you, I suppose you, if you if you get cramp in the middle of the sea, it's a lot more dangerous than if you get it on land. But True. I might try it. I'll, right. I'll do a triathlon in reverse action. Yes. yes, if yes. I survive. Yes, OK. <laughs>
0: this week's uh, cult film, one I must admit I've not heard of, uh, is Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Now, I'd say I've just brought it up on uh, on the, uh, the internet here, and looking at the poster, it looks like something a bit like, I don't know, Um, Animal House or something I guess it's not
1: Well, no, actually. I mean, it it is a descendant of Animal House, there's no question, but in in ways that aren't quite obvious. So, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which came out last year, it's the latest from Edgar Wright, who, uh, most recently showed up as one of the co-writers on The Adventures of Tintin, so it kind of fits in that we were talking about it. Yeah, indeed. Um, he's most famous for his work with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. They started out on TV in the early noughties with Spaced, which sort of passed me by, but has attained cult status in and of itself. Then they made their feature debut with Shaun of the Dead, which was the first rom-zomb. Yeah. Um, Which features the the immortal line, I don't think I can kill my mother and my best friend in the same day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think Shaun of the Dead's not quite great, but it's very, very good. Then they teamed up again with Hot Fuzz, which was a sort of pastiche of buddy cop films with a great lip-curling performance by Timothy Dalton and sort of talk about the greater good. Um, And those two films form the first and second parts of what they call their... Their three flavors cornetto trilogy or the blood and ice cream trilogy because they sent no, there is a purported use of a cornetto as a hangover cure <laughs> and the idea is they make three films along the color scheme so sort of the yeah. Shaun of the dead's the red cornetto hot fuzz is the blue one and then the third one called the world's end which they're working on at the moment is the green cornetto it sort of makes sense it's adapted from the graphic novel or comic book depending on your sort of opinion of comics by brian lee o'malley and this was meant to be Wright's big break into hollywood the first film that he'd made without the involvement of peg or frost or anyone else from his other films it had a budget of anywhere between 60 and 90 million dollars so, big old costs it did i mean no, it's not the Couple of thousand you're used to doing on the cult classics. Exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> this is, and so he, it's has, like I say, a budget of sixty to ninety million, of which it took about forty-seven million on release, which is not doing all that good. So some very, uh, very painful executives in Hollywood. Yes, and but so, one of the interesting things about it, is, I mean, like I say, most of the cult films we've talked about recently have been sort of low budgets that have either taken money over time or broken even and then got yeah. a life on DVD. This is an example of. A director basically going to Hollywood and making the film exactly the the way he wants to make it and failing miserably on a commercial level, but producing something that's absolutely magical. And the film has got a massive life now on DVD. I think it became the fastest selling Blu-ray of all time. And they actually did a second... They sort of did a promo tour to promote the film when it's come out. And they did a second tour to promote it when it was coming out on DVD. And Guillermo del Toro, whom we talked about when we reviewed Kronos all those weeks ago, is a great Mexican filmmaker, went on tour with them because he saw the film and loved it. And we normally think of Guillermo del Toro as this sort of big, cuddly teddy bear who's very softly spoken. But he actually said at a press conference, if you don't go and see this film, you are bringing Hollywood down, and it's on your own hands. Okay, you must really love it. So the plot is... um, Scott Pilgrim, played by Michael Serra, who is most famous for his performance in Juno. He's a 22-year-old geeky kid who plays bass guitar in a rock band called Sex bob which is a reference to Super Mario Brothers. He lives in Toronto with his gay best friend, Wallace Wells, who's played by uh, Kieran Culkin, who's the brother of Macaulay Culkin, arguably, no, the more talented and arguably more stable brother. Yes. Um, he begins dating a girl called Knives, who is a 17-year-old girl in, sort of, in high school, and she becomes sort of obsessed with the band and the band don't really like her. His his protective big sister who works at a coffee shop is, no not happy with him. Uh, He meets an American girl called Ramona Flowers who is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead who will soon be appearing in the prequel to The Thing. He falls in love with her when he uh, plays at a battle of the bands to impress her he is attacked by one of her ex-boyfriends and it emerges that in order to win ramona's heart and get the girl he has got to go head to head with her seven evil exes in a video game style series of bouts and which he has to sort of collect coins by defeating them for reasons that will become clear now traditionally speaking coming-of-age movies are not only thin on substance but they have a very limited lifespan i mean if you look at things as varied as American graffiti and dirty dancing. No, they revolve around the same old stories of show the young love, you no, know, finding yourself and heartbreak. And the ones that last are not just the ones that evoke their period, but which contain some form of deeper truth about the process of growing up. I mean, I think you'd subscribe to that sort of yeah, conclusion, yes, wouldn't you? And yeah. that's why you love Gregory's girl, yes, amongst other things. Yes. Um I mean I'm still in my twenties. Um so it's quite hard for me to say how good this film is going to look in 10 years time when the gaming world has moved on and people no longer talk like extras from june playing a video game and they're saying it's really interesting isn't it to which you go no (laughs) (laughs) i mean the fight sequences in it do feel like natural continuations of the story and the character development in between is a lot more complex and insightful than all the swathes of exposition that you get in something like silent hill you know it's a silent hill sort of very quiet bit explaining and then fight some zombies and then have a bit more explaining and then fight some more zombies and that's it gets very tiresome the film has an absolutely extraordinary visual style which is somewhere between um would you've seen tron when it first came out uh no i didn't no but it's somewhere between that and sin city because you do feel like you're both inside a video game and it 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 literally replicates the feeling of a comic book but unlike sin city which is a bit portentous and boring frankly i mean i'm not the biggest robert rodriguez fan anyway as you remember from my review of spy kids four um it manages to have that literal comic book struggle to the extent that during the fight sequences whenever people get hit you know when michael cera's fist goes out it actually has a big sort of kapow on the screen In almost in the style of old-fashioned batman but not as sort of yeah. cheesy and ropey and the video game elements in both the design and the content of the battles are used to complement and enhance the conflict so for instance you have sort of scott gaining powers and like getting a life uh, yeah. every time he defeats a body or sort of collecting change but they don't sort of become goals in themselves they're very much now narratively integral. Like the comic that it's based upon, it jumps from sort of one form of reality to another without much warning. There are many flights of fantasy which are either poignant or hilarious and it does explore sort of issues of love and death with a fascinating alacrity i mean it's a 12 certificate film and it makes absolutely no bones about its comic book violence you know the battles are shot in a sort of playful and unintentional and entertaining manner there's no focus on any lingering amount of pain sort of characters can get sort of flacked across the face with a lightsaber and then get up and they're absolutely fine and that's okay you still believe the characters are in danger but in the same way as christopher nolan's batman movies are 12 certificates There's no need to demonstrate the danger beyond a sort of suggestion of pain. And, you know, as a result, you don't have to take the story too seriously. And the good guy will always win in the end. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the way these things always work. I mean, even in in something like Gregory's Girl, where he sort of wins, but not in the way that you expect. Um, it's like the old uh, Batman
0: two-parters that he used to have on television where you'd be have the sort of the chainsaw going at the end of the
1: episode one and you uh, will Batman survive? And you thought, yes, he will. <laughs> yes, he will. It was like there was a wonderful quote from Bill Bailey when he was talking about Tom Clancy and saying that all Tom Clancy's fiction can effectively boil down to this. Good versus evil. Evil appears to get the upper hand, but then good triumphs via far superior semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely idea. Yeah. So there are, I mean, I'll just give you an idea because you, like you say you haven't seen the film there are several fantastic moments in it and there's a moment towards the end where pilgrim is scott pilgrim is fighting uh gideon the last boyfriend of ramona flowers who's played by wes anderson's right-hand man jason schwartzman sort of independently spirited actor with long flowing hair and glasses and they have a fight sequence in which you know he he's, he's an obsessive gum chewer and scott does a karate kick and makes him swallow the gum and he goes that's going to be in my gut for the next seven years! And then he fights <laughs> him like that. And then, so, in the final fight, Scott actually gets killed, and he goes into this um, this sort of dream sequence where he's wandering in the desert and finds Ramona. And he uses a sort of, you know, because in one of the previous fight sequences, he gained a life in the way that you do if you're playing yeah. video games, and goes back and relives all the battle scene over and over, right up to the moment where he got killed the last time, and then he lands the correct yeah. punch. So, you know, that's taking the video game structure, doing it literalistically, and doing it very well. And there's a little motif that whenever he defeats one of the um the evil exes or the evil ex-boyfriends um they shatter into piles of coins and then a big total flashes up on the screen with how many millions (laughs) of coins he's collected and that's really good fun there is also and one of the other things that stuck out in my mind there is one of the battles um features him fighting two uh japanese twins who are sort of, you know, disc jockeys. And he has a sort of, you know, in sort of Battle of the Bands where you have a playoff of who can play the loudest or the longest or until the fingers bleed. And so Sex Bombs, his band, set up on one side and uh, the two DJs set up with massive speakers on the other. And you get the sound waves coming out like sort of an oral gorilla fighting two dragons. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's very well done CGI. and It's comic book style. It's a bit like... know the the gorillas look if you know the sort of the comic animated um band of gorillas rather than anything else um but despite all the sort of the large quantities of geeky references like the sort of the mario stuff that i've mentioned the film gets away with it for the simple reason that it doesn't take itself too seriously i mean one of the problems with video game adaptations in the past apart from the fact that they are sort of narratively lacking because in a video game you're the one driving the characters and making the story they often take themselves so, because they're so frightened about letting the fans down, they take themselves so seriously that they end up being rather ponderous and boring. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, Silent Hill, you know, in the video game might be scary, but as a film, it's sort of, you know, people wandering around in the snow, and then occasionally some zombies and people (laughs) wandering around in the snow. And Scott Pilgrim has one of its biggest assets is a lightness of touch it sort of drifts like its central character from one scene to another paying just about enough attention so you can follow what's going on but you can still have time to sort of escape into fantasy and have fun i mean there's a sequence where scott is looking around his apartment in which he lives with wallace and it sort of comes up with labels of everything that scott's and everything that's wallace in sort of his imaginary mind and that's no it's a little diversion but you stay on the story it's also laugh out loud funny from beginning to end the jokes come really thick and fast to the point to which i mean when i saw this at the Tyneside in a room full of 12 year old and 11 year old kids <laughs> i was struggling to breathe because i was laughing so much it's the That's most good. fun i've had in the cinema for ages and ages i mean you've got things like um wallace scott's gay roommate played very well by kieran culkin who every time um you know one of his bandmates brings a new boyfriend around he immediately starts hitting on her boyfriend <laughs> And he has this ab- amazing ability to sort of text Scott's overprotective sister even while he's lapsing into unconsciousness from having too much beer. And then she <laughs> picks up the text from him saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you here? What are you doing? Um, one of the evil exes, uh, called Todd, who's played by, uh, former Superman Brandon Roth or Ruth, um, he, a fantastic thing whereby he's, He's a vegan who is so much of a vegan that he's been given psychic powers, and he's incredibly arrogant. And there's a moment where Scott defeats him by dr- getting him to, you know, tricking him into drinking real milk rather than soy milk, at which point <laughs> the vegan police come through the room and bust him for drinking soy milk and take <laughs> away his powers, which is just fantastic. Great. Right. And then there's a sort of cutaway once Scott's defeated him of them sort of jumping around and backslapping each other behind him, which is just funny. You've got the Japanese twins that I've mentioned, which when you first see them, you think, have Kraftwerk and Siegfried and Roy had a child because it is that sort of you know you <laughs> yeah. know the standard craft work of four people standing on keyboards and yes, being very yeah. robotic well imagine that with incredibly bad hair and all and then you've got sort of all the sort of the juno awkward stuff where michael Sarah sort of confusing the word love with lesbians and saying that repeatedly yeah. in a sentence and just looking like looking like a complete dweeb in front of ramona but it's 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 affectionate and funny i mean the Animal House reference that you made at the start, thats sort of, those sorts of conversations, you know, particularly the one where he, you know, surreptitiously asks Ramona if she's into drugs, Yeah, they do drift very close to the more putrid end of comedies like Animal House, yes, where you've got, indeed, you know, yes. particularly, I mean, you could almost liken the, the, the band scene in this to the toga party sequences in Animal House, with sort of John Belushi smashing the guitar and falling down yeah. the banister, which is all good fun, but... Although there are little moments where we will sort of wriggle in our seats and cringe, it's like, oh, you really didn't say that to her, you really shouldn't have done that. Scarlet Pilgrim is not out to make us wriggle for its own yeah. sake. And when it does get into sort of more intimate sequences, why it shows Ramona in her underwear or that sort of thing, it treats its female characters with an underlying level of respect, which, which, you, nice. do, which yes. you don't get in those sort of bawdy comedies, particularly no. when you get to Porky's, in which the female <laughs> characters <laughs> just, are just yes. there to be, well, oogled it's, at, basically. Yes. So it doesn't... I mean, the, one of the things about as a sort of diversionary tactic when people sort of talk about um sort of female role models in films one of the criticisms is often leveled is that the biggest female role models are women who sort of become more masculine and the classic yeah. example that's always cited is ripley and aliens yeah you know yeah. there's there was a quote that in the alien series she kind of starts off as a as a virgin then becomes a mother then becomes a crone in alien three and then is reborn in resurrection and i've always felt that in those last 10 minutes of aliens when she's in that sort of you know the big crane says get away from her you it's it's effectively she's taking on the masculine role rather than doing the sort of the maternal instinct stuff which james cameron wanted to do but in this it's it's a... F- Scott Pilgrim the vs. the World says basically, look, no, these women are on a par with the men not just because they can kick butt and sort of fight around yeah. and no, say witty lines, but because they're actually real people and they have real feelings and they're sort of conflicted bundles of energy. And in the midst of all the sort of the belly laughs and the eye-popping visuals and the video game references, it's a very tender treatment of young love, not just about how to get the girl, but actually how to deal with the baggage that comes with all young relationships. And both Scott and Ramona have issues with commitment there is a through line with gregory's girl in the sense that there's the implication that the right girl may not be the one that scott's with at the moment and what he thinks he'll end up with is not necessarily what he needs to end up with i mean there was some argument when they were making it about sort of what the ending was going to be because the comic ends with him actually getting back together with knives and saying well it was a nice experience but actually i don't want you anymore not in so many words but just you know the experience sort of realised he wasn't worth it but regardless of whether or not the ending works and i think the existing ending is actually the better one in defeating all the evil exes pilgrim is not just standing up to other people's demons but he's confronting his own securities in terms of building confidence in terms of saying no do i really want this person do i want to commit and it genuinely conveys that sense of heartbreak on both sides which comes at the end of a relationship and it doesn't no, make out that these people are just know, oh, they're perfect, therefore they're meant to be together, but we'll sort of waffle on for an hour and a half of pretending. And that's shown very much in the sort of, the way that Ramona's hair colour keeps changing, showing that she's sort of conflicted. You know, in a sort of very popcorn-y pop corny yeah. pop sort of way, but it does work. The performances are absolutely great. I think it's one of the best things that Michael Cera has ever done. I mean, he is guilty occasionally of playing the same character over and over again, but it's certainly the best thing he's done since Juno. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is terrific. She's got a real sense of mystery and wisdom beyond her age, but she yeah. also can play, you no know, younger than herself very well. Karen Culkin's great, and this is Brandon Ruth's finest performance. I mean, in Superman Returns, he was a bit... He was a bit boring frankly <laughs> i mean i know there were uh, there were other things wrong with superman returns other than him but he was he looked like the person who'd been cast simply because he looked like christopher reeve right yeah uh but in this he he really gets to sort of to shine and he, he does make for one arrogant vegan excellent <laughs> so to sum up it's one of the best films of last year which it may not be a definitive cult classic now but it will be in five years and you'll you will look at it after all those years and think you no. Know, In a way, it's good that it failed at the box office because it just completely sideswipes you. I don't think it's quite a masterpiece. It is a little bit too long and a bit rough around the edges in places, and many people, like I said, may dispute the ending. But once you adjust to its peculiar execution, it's arguably Edgar Wright's best film, and as a document of teenage love and insecurity, it's up there with Juno, and if you're under 20, you need to see... Under 25, you need to see it. And what a contrast in The Bad Lieutenants. (laughs) Yes, I think we needed that after last week.
0: From the heart of the district, this is Lionheart Radio. Sunita and Toy Boy there. And we played that this morning because sadly, Sunita booted out of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here last night. Oh, what? Apparently. A shame. I, was thinking, I was just saying, she's well off out of it. Yeah, I okay. guess. <laughs> but anyway, uh, not being a fan of that particular programme on TV. I'm even less of a fan yes. than you are. <laughs> so, slightly scary starts, that song. I hadn't played it before, but it's the only one from her we had on the computer. And then it turned into a classic stock ache and a waterman churned out of a cyber computer. But that's insulting computers, really, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. absolutely. <laughs> OK, next week's cult film is... Gojira, Gojira.
1: Which is the original Japanese version of Godzilla from the mid-50s. Oh, right. so that should uh, be interesting. Yeah, it has a very interesting history in terms of its relationship to the American distributors, amongst other things. So, uh, yeah. Fair An fair oldie. Fair. Yes, but very,
0: very goodie. Great. Well, quite good new releases this week, you're telling me. But yeah. we'll
1: start with one that isn't. Let's get the bad one
0: out of yes. the way. So, Daniel Craig, not his finest hour, I guess, in uh, Dreamhouse.
1: Yeah, um, new film by Jim Sheridan, who started out pretty damn good because he made My Left Foot, for which Daniel Day-Lewis won his first uh, Oscar performance, and uh, made In the Name of the Father, for which Daniel Day-Lewis, again, was Oscar-nominated. Yeah, that was and the I one for that, which, yes. No, that was, I think it was on... Um my left foot where day lewis's famous habit of staying in character all the time started because he broke two ribs on that film from Gosh. hunching over yeah. all the time and during in the name of the father he deliberately asked the crew to sort of hose him down every day and swear at him all the time you know, just to stay in character um more recently he did things like brothers which was the remake of the danish film with nathalie portman in and uh, get rich or die trying with 50 Sent. um so the story is daniel craig is a publisher who is married to rachel vice who'll turn up later this week when we talk about the deeply Sea. Uh, they've got two young daughters. He quits his job to move what will seem to be their dream house in the New England countryside. Turns out that a family was murdered in that house uh, not so long ago, and that Craig may not be all that he says he is. Ooh. Well, you'd think. I mean, Jim Sheridan, there's been various stories about him saying that he wanted to take his name off the film. I mean, there used to be a practice in Hollywood called Alan Smithy, where if you didn't, uh, if, you were, if you wanted to disown a film, you could get the name Alan Smithy put on the credits instead. And there's a, a great story about um, the first time that was done, the film actually turned out to be quite good and roger ebert so he wrote changed ebert, the credits yeah the thing is <laughs> but roger, that it was. But the funny thing yes. is that roger ebert read a review saying know, oh, i've not come across this alan smithy before but he directs rather well i look forward to his next <laughs> 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 lovely yeah there, and uh, there was also many people remember a very bad comedy in the late 90s called alan smithy burn hollywood burn with eric Idle, which sort of that was the whole joke yeah. and then it ran out of steam. it's shamefully derivative i mean you can see clear hints of things like the haunting and the amityville horror and the others. More to the point, the big twist, that, no, not to give anything away, but he might have been there before, it's lifted straight from The Shining, which itself was inspired by The Tenant, and they have so little confidence in the force of the twist that it's actually in the trailer. Yeah, and so. even I, who, no you know, likes the sort of ripeness of Shutter Island, because a lot of people really hated Shutter Island, but I thought it was sort of good, ripe fun. Even I, who sort of has seen loads of films with that twist, sat through the trailer and thought, oh, come on, you're just not trying if you're putting it there. I mean the only interesting thing to say about it is the CGI is pretty good because there is a moment when the children run their hands along the walls and it changes yeah. from this sort of immaculate glossy culture to sort of beaten wood and so forth but the characters are flat Daniel Craig and Naomi Watson particularly a waste Naomi Watts is a terrific actress she was in David Lynch's Mulholland Drive ten years ago yes, which is an yeah. astonishing <laughs> film and it's paint-by-numbers psychological horror, which isn't in the least bit scary or surprising. Oh, so it says on the website here: too obvious to be frightening. Yes, exactly. You know, every, like, the fact that they've put the twist in the trailer shows that all the plot developments come at you saying, here, it's like the thing you know in a Joe Eszterhas script: here comes the twist, the twist is coming, and here's the twist, and there's the That's twist."
0: <laughs> and at the mm-hmm. other end of the spectrum, because it's supposed to be almost a month since we've had a Brad Pitt film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, he doesn't make that many these days, though. It <laughs> <when> he... <laughs> just it feels like it, but Moneyball. Yeah. I think he's brilliant, by I, the way, so
1: no, uh, I lo- don't take that as a uh, criticism. I just okay. think I, he's everywhere. I think, no, I love him as well. Not in a metrosexual way, but I do really <laughs> like him. Um, it's the new film by Bennett Miller, who directed uh, Capote, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, starring Brad Pitt. It's a... The heavyweights in terms of the screenplay, because it's co-written by Aaron Sorkin, who wrote The Social Network oh, and the yeah. West Wing, and Steve Zalian, who wrote Schindler's List and Ridley Scott's American Gangster, which is very underrated. He also, no, he got a name for himself in the 90s, basically getting paid a million pounds for writing all of Arnie's zingers. So all the great lines in Terminator 2 are written by Steve Zalian. They basically sent him the script saying, give us six zingers, and he sort of wrote, I'll be back, you can't put me in the corner, <laughs> that sort of thing. He, that was his, how he cut his teeth. So the story is Brad Pitt is a baseball coach at a rubbish team in oakland and they've got no money to spend on players now the conventional wisdom in baseball like most sports nowadays is if you want success you have to spend loads of money on the really great players he runs into an accountant played by jonah hill Who says actually you don't need big players you just need to look at the people with the best stats and get them because there's loads of people out there who've got really great batting averages and really great strike rates but they just never made it to the big time and uh, so they go around picking small uh, team players who start off a bit rubbish but eventually start turning the league around And eventually they win just as the social network was a film about facebook in which not much time was spent on facebook so moneyball is a film about baseball in which there's very little actual baseball in it there's a few she's probably as well otherwise she'd fall asleep yeah, I don't find baseball all that boring, but no,
0: it's, it's not cricket. Let's have you sat through a whole baseball game? No. Well, but we'll I have, try it i played softball, and that was about as far yes. as I got. I, even when I used to go and see really good baseball teams, I could only cope till about the eighth innings, and then I fell asleep.
1: But there's only nine in there, isn't there? Yes. It? <laughs> <laughs> Saying you could only cope till the eighth is not... You know,
0: yeah, you know, all the action used to happen in the ninth normally so yeah yeah
1: okay the one run yes fifth day of a test match beats baseball any day um so it does avoid the trap of things like sports films particularly things like angels in the outfield you know that was yeah. that wave of baseball films in the 1990s which started with field of dreams which is yeah. one of the better efforts in the late yeah, 80s people will come <laughs> including no who will come dead baseball players and your father <laughs> uh, so the action looks real when it happens, and there's no fear that people will sort of watch it and not get the game Because all the discussion is in rooms talking about the rules of baseball yeah. and the strategies of how to win And that's done in a very smart way Brad Pitt is aging very gracefully I think he's sort of mid to late 40s now, and he still looks 25. Yeah, he's just doing very well Yeah, no, Angelina's doing wonders with him um, <laughs> And Jonah Hill <laughs> is the, not in that sense um Jonah Hill is the best he's ever been. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was in Capote all those years ago, he's completely unrecognisable. He's much more gaunt than he normally is. Um, it's shot by Wally Fister, who's worked ex- extensively with Christopher Nolan. It's very well directed. I don't think it's quite on the par with Social Network, but it's very good indeed.
0: All right, next one, Castlist to die for. My week with Marilyn, Michelle Williams, Kenneth Branagh, Judy Dench. On it goes.
1: Yeah, a debut feature film from Simon Curtis, who is most famous for directing... Um, the TV adaptation of David Copperfield, which launched the career of Daniel Radcliffe. Well, that yeah. should be good. And that had a cast list to die for as well, because that was Bob Hoskins as Micawber and Maggie Smith as Betsy Trotwood. And, best of all, Nicholas Lindhurst in a career-best performance as Uriah Heat. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yes. it was really it spine-tingling, good? yes. yes. Um, there was that wonderful moment in that when... Um, David Copperfield has run away to home and found Betsy Trotwood's house in the countryside and she sort of, she was, Maggie Smith, go away, get off my lawns, then he reveals who he is and she falls headfirst into a lavender. <laughs> and it's, no, really good fun. Yeah. Uh, based on the diaries of Colin Clark and the story follows uh, Clark, played by uh, Eddie Redmayne, who was in Savage Grace all those uh, years ago and more recently in Black Death. He's fresh out of university, like 22, 23 years old. He's trying to make it in the film business. He lands uh, a job as a uh, an assistant or a runner on uh, the prince and the showgirl which was the film which re- which united england's no reportedly greatest stage actor Lawrence olivier who's played yeah. in this version by kenneth branner who was actually called the new olivier when he started and uh, marilyn monroe played by michelle williams and uh, As the film goes on during the week that he has with Marilyn Monroe, she seems to be romantically interested with him, despite the fact that she may be already seducing Olivier, and she's on honeymoon because she's just married Arthur Miller, which I think gives you some indication of how conflicted she was. I tend to go on about sort of directorial skill on this slot, but this is one of those films which... All the enjoyment comes out of the performances. I mean, like you said, you've got a classic cast of British and American types. Doug Ray Scott doing a very good job playing Arthur Miller. Judy Dench is Dame Sybil Thorndyke. There's It'll a be one-
0: wonderful. There's
1: a wonderful moment in one of the longer trailers where Eddie Redmayne is driving Marilyn oh. Monroe in, and uh, uh, Dame Judy Dench kind of passes by the window, and he says, "Oh, hello, Dame," and he said. No, not Dame Sybil. No, it's Dame Judy, for obvious. Say. It's not Dame <laughs> Sybil. Um, Branner is absolutely having a ball as Olivier. I mean, he does it really well. It's slightly more sort of lip curling than Olivier was. Yeah, I'm b- never completely sure about uh, Kenneth Branner in films. I, I really say. like him. I think no, there are, there have been things like Love Labour's Lost in which he has gone a bit too far. But when he's doing sort of lip curling stuff, I mean, if you've seen him in Rabbit Proof Fence when he's very intimidating as an Australian yes. guard, then that's fantastic. And of course, you no know, Shackleton, which yeah. for me is his best performance. Um, Williams does the best she can with Marilyn. I mean, playing her is frankly a thankless task because she is so, you know, if you want to watch Marilyn Monroe, watch a Marilyn Monroe performance, but just, it's very hard for anyone to play her in the same way as it's hard for anyone to play Adolf Hitler. I know that's a very odd comparison to make, but in the sense of how do you do it? It tries to raise ideas about her character sort of being unfaithful and you no know, lack of a father figure being the reason that she was so unfaithful and had so many marriages, because, of course, she married Jodie Maggio before yes, Arthur Miller to yeah. go back to baseball. Um, so, but it's at its best when it's fluff, and it's perfectly <laughs> good fluff. <laughs> Great. Another one that's getting rave reviews is uh, 50-50. It's got Angelica Houston, so it can do no wrong. Yeah, I like Angelica Houston as well. Um, New comedy drama, or dramedy, as it's known these days, from... uh, yes. Yes, Jonathan Levine, who has an odd pedigree because he directed All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, which is a rather nasty slasher film. Um, Stars Seth Rogen, who's... mm, And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's... mm, uh, They're best friends, and uh, the latter is diagnosed with a rare form of cancer for which he's given odds of 50-50 hence the title um shows him dealing with it so there's sequences of him shaving his head trying to live life normally dealing with his parents for a film about illness which comes out of hollywood it doesn't fall into the hollywood illness trap of looking absolutely brilliant until you snuff it which was the problem with restless and a whole and of course rob reiner's the bucket list which wasn't any good at all i mean the writer will reisner based the story loosely on his own battle with cancer and there are some wonderful moments in it which sort of Real, which make you think, yes, you have got this balance pretty much spot on. There's a moment when he tells his mother that he's been diagnosed, and rather than sort of breaking down or going into a sort of, you know, hug with him, she says, I'm going to make tea now. And sort of goes out of the room to have a sort of private meltdown of her own and that's very well handled and now and i'm all in favor of handling subjects like illness and death through irreverence because i mean mm-hmm. stuff like four lions and kind hearts and coronets which is about serial killing that's very good there are a couple of problems i think you no know, because it's sent because it is essentially a bromance between the seth rogan and the joseph gordon levitt character the female characters are dealt with a bit of a duff hand and some of the broader comedic moments do fear a little too close to the sort of the Judd Apatow stable, but it does manage to avoid the traps of things like the bucket list or a little bit of heaven. It's not mawkish. It's not perfect, but it's very well judged.
0: I'm now forgetting the title. It was a brilliant Canadian TV series done in the 90s, and I am going to have to try and remember it about uh, dealing with AIDS, which uh, was also dealt with extremely sympathetically and carefully, and uh, mm. now I've forgotten it. We'll, we'll but see it if it it'll
1: comes come back. back to me. Yeah, yes. we'd we better canter through the list. Yeah, we year. had to. Uh,
0: right, next one on the list is Take Shelter.
1: New film from writer director Jeff Nichols, who started off with Shotgun Stories, um, d- starring Michael Shannon, who is an extraordinary screen presence. He was Oscar nominated for Revolutionary Road. He plays Curtis, who's an American miner, who becomes convinced that the world is going to end in, a, in an apocalyptic storm. He keeps having vivid dreams that his, no, that the world's going to end, in which his family start to appear because the dreams recur. He takes action by building a a tornado shelter in his backyard to the protestations of his wife, and, you know, it all goes horribly wrong from there. It's great, basically. Shannon is a terrifying screen presence. I mean, he was in a film which was p- directed by Werner Herzog, produced by David Lynch, called My Son, My Son, What Have You Done, in which he played a, a, someone who'd murdered his mother. And David Lynch famously said, you No, know, David Lynch, who has sort of shot a wide range of very insane films, he was one of the few people who scared David Lynch when he walked on set, which is a sign <laughs> that he's intimidating. Yeah. I mean, in My Son, My Son, What Have You Done, he's up against Grace Brisky, who in Wilder Heart is completely off the rails, and he makes her look normal. <laughs> so... It's got a great political subtext to it. You know, it's about the age of anxiety. It's about, sort of, this feeling of doom. There's a sort of economic allegory you can read into that. There are big references to things like the birds, particularly in a sequence in the trailer when a flock of crows fly straight yep. at him and his daughter. The thing that it owes most to is a very little scene from, from the 90s called The Rapture by Michael Tonkin, which investigated the possibility that all the prophecies in Revelation might actually come literally true, and it was handled very interestingly. So, it's... It's full on and it is a bit insane, but it's thoroughly recommended. Great. And finally, The Deep Blue Sea. New film by Terence Davis, um, who is most recently made of time in the city which is the black and white documentary about liverpool a few years ago and his, his best work for me is the house of mirth with julian anderson based on the play by terence Rattigan. the story is rachel vice her again plays hester collier who is married to a judge played by simon russell beale uh, she begins because it's a loveless marriage and she's no not getting it she uh, begins an affair with an raf pilot played by tom hiddleston and that doesn't work out and her life starts to fall apart and it's you no know, sort of about commitment and so forth again it's really great it's a really bum- per week we've got going i mean terence davis has a real affection for old-fashioned drama and this does hark back to the golden age of sort of 40s and 50s british cinema particularly the work of pal and pressburger because although i found rachel weiss rather brittle and irritating in the past in this i was really reminded of the great performances of people like um deborah carr in things like black narcissus which you know if you haven't seen black narcissus you're in for a treat. Yeah. Um, it's, you know it's a film about sort of love and duty and the repression of sort of women in the structure of marriage there's a wonderful sequence where they go to have tea with simon russell bill's mother who's very domineering and everything that rachel vice does is wrong when she pours the tea, says, oh you put the milk in first (laughs) or you don't play sport yeah that's not a sport that's a pastime and you just find yourself wanting to scream how constrictive it is but not screaming in a way of i hate all the characters get me out of here but you'd really feel for rachel vice's character it's very lavishly shot you know there is a sort of comparison with the king's speech and a very regal sort of navy blue and purple color scheme there's some question as to whether the play is dated, because sort of Ratigan was at his peak just before John Osborne sort of came in and changed the face of British theatre. I don't know how far you're going to have to travel, but if you can find it, it's worth seeing. So, lots of good films to see this week. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to give one recommendation. So I think joint film of the week is Deep Blue Sea and Take Shelter, but Moneyball is very very good. So
0: plenty to choose from there. Absolutely. And it was life goes on. It was the TV series. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, Uh, also famous because it was the first to uh, have a major character with Down syndrome. So it was a very iconic uh, American series, and I used to love it. Mm. And maybe if I've got a couple of minutes after the news and I can find it on the computer, I will play the theme tune because it is a classic. Right. Thanks for coming along. Yep. Uh, You're back next Saturday between 10 and 11. I'm back at 8 o'clock. Have a great time. Jerry G's here this afternoon after 12. But the latest news with Tim
1: heart
0: radio the voice of Northumberland.